0: This is Channel Two Five Three.
1: In this episode of Crossing Division, you really only need to live in the state. You don't need to actually live in the congressional district. Yeah. Although in I, order to represent the congressional district in Congress.
0: As you can imagine, I don't think the people who live in that district are very uh, excited about the prospect of someone outside the district thinking they can represent them.
2: Channel Two Five Three is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com.
0: Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. Welcome to Crossing Division. This time, we're talking with Joe Lopez. Welcome, Joe. Hello. Thank you. One of my favorite guests, I must add. You're special. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we're going to talk about, in this January 2020, of uh, what do we expect to see... And what do we hope to see in Tacoma in 2020? And uh, before we sort of get into it, let me just say I've got some notes on things that are coming up this year that I want to make sure we hit, Um, especially January, February, and March, Crossing Division and uh, Channel 253 is going to be the media sponsor of three downtown on-the-go forums. On January 24th, Aging in Place about affordable and sustainable housing, February 21st, moving into the future uh, about accessibility and transportation options and March 20th uh, public space for all ages uh, uh, Talking about accessible parks and public spaces. What works what doesn't so keep your eyes open for that check out the downtown on the go website um, But let's start first Joe Um, You and I have been talking about sort of things that are hitting the news lately. And one of the things that I was really curious about was this mental health treatment facility that was supposed to go in at 19th and Proctor. um, And it seems to have hit a bump.
1: Uh, It hit a big bump because it can't be built without a zoning variance from the city. That appeared to be heading along fairly well. There was a hearing before the city's hearing examiner who recommended granting the variance. Uh, That would then require a vote by the city council. At first reading, it was thought that this was heading for an approval. But then when it came up for an actual vote, the city council unanimously voted to deny the variance. And uh, that has caused a lot of concern and consternation around town.
0: Yeah. Did they explain why they were denying the variants?
1: Well, the hospital would be located in Councilmember Blocker's district. Mm -hmm. And he is responding to a lot of concern from people who live there that this would be the second mental health facility in their area, and they were concerned about the concentration of these services in their neighborhood and the potential issues that can come along
0: with yeah. them. So I know a couple of years ago there was a, a move to site a new uh, psychiatric facility, Behavioral Health Center, at Allen
1: And that has happened. That uh, That is the well-found hospital it was created by a joint venture of multi-care and Franciscan Health Services. Um, the facility is, I think, finally up and running. It had a number of real bumps in the road. Uh, the, the CEO of the joint venture left and had to be replaced. There was a long pause where... Um, they weren't accepting patients, and they had
0: that's some accreditation issue too. They had
1: they... put off the process of seeking the accreditation. Um, I think if you're really interested in this, uh, Matt Driscoll had a long article about it a few months ago, and it really sums up all the issues. But the hospital has has. You know, taken a good while to to get up and running and up to speed.
0: But they are open and running now, I think.
1: They are open and running, and it is the fact that that hospital is there very close to this proposed second mental health facility Mm -hmm. that's caused a lot of people in the neighborhood there to object to it.
0: Now, is there much information about what this second facility would do? Because I can imagine, I can understand the not-in-my-backyard piece of You know, I don't really know what's going on. I don't know what services they're offering. I don't know if people are going to be, you know, waiting for buses or collecting in the area. But I don't have an idea of what kind of um, treatment they're going to do. I think that
1: one of the concerns here is that security. uh, Some people are worried that the types of patients who would typically go to Western State are going to end up in one of these facilities. They are not designed to house that kind of patient. Yeah. However, there do appear to be some circumstances where overflow from Western state could potentially end up. Okay. In another facility. And so people do have concerns about security. They have concerns about crime. Yeah. At the same time, there are a lot of people around town who are upset about the opposition to the facility. They Mm -hmm. see it as a lot of nimbyism. Right. Uh, And this has typically been a city that has been sympathetic to issues regarding mental health services. It's been proactive in taxing itself to fund mental health services. In fact, I think uh, Tacoma is the only municipality in Pierce County that has taken advantage of a state law allowing the imposition of a sales tax to fund services for chemical dependency and mental illness. Yeah. Um, The city in 2012 voted to impose that tax. The Pierce County Council, on the other hand, has specifically declined Mm. to impose that sort of tax within Pierce County, though Pierce County does tend to – Piggyback onto Tacoma's tax to qualify for some grants. Yeah, there was just a story about that regarding mental health funding.
0: Right. So they want to be able to qualify for the funding, and and everyone would like them to qualify for more funding. Right. But to do so, they have to sort of make somebody of- somebody
1: had to have done something, and it was in fact Tacoma that did something, and uh, you know, so Pierce County likes to make itself look progressive by by.
0: Taking picky. over Tacoma's yeah. programs, yeah. There's
1: always a lot of hypocrisy when it when it comes to talking about mental, mental health. health issues and spending.
0: Well, I'll tell you, you know, I I did sort of initially think, you know, what makes me a, a little bit frustrated is that I think some of these other, um, especially cities, but the, the county too, needs to ante up on mental health. At the same time, denying the permit or denying the variance for this facility doesn't make Puyallup any more likely to come up with its own mental health services. No,
1: I I, I don't think it's very surprising that you see two mental health hospitals uh, opening or, or potentially opening in Tacoma. Tacoma is an area that has enacted a tax to pay for mental health issues. Uh, nowhere else has. Not only does that tax create a pile of money, but Additional grants that you qualify for that come in, that also creates a pot yeah. of money for these kinds of services. And so, not surprisingly, you know, you have healthcare organizations looking Locating to come to here. Tacoma and provide mental health services. Well,
0: and I would say, um, so let me give us a little um, say slide sideways here and say, um, Chelsea Talbert, who we both know, who's sort of locally uh, active in all kinds of things. Had a Facebook post where she had said what was bothering her about this decision about the mental health facility was if it was a cancer treatment facility, nobody would be saying don't build it in Tacoma. And I thought, yeah, that is a really good point. And then someone else came into her comments to say, yes, but don't lose sight of the fact that this is a private facility out of California, not going to be employing public employees and you know it may it's according to this person this is just like private prisons with privatization of healthcare so i think we still have some question assuming it is probably good to have more mental health services are these the services we want
1: um well let me just Take a piece of that. I I don't know that I would necessarily want to equate Signature Health Services, which is the company, yeah, with (laughs) with the Geo Group.
0: Okay,
1: I think that's something I'll just leave off there on the side.
0: So, what's the name of this company?
1: Uh, It's called Signature Healthcare. They're from California. they are a for-profit company, uh, whereas MultiCare and Franciscan are both nonprofits. But in this day and age, the only real difference between a profit and the nonprofit corporation is that nonprofits don't have shareholders, yeah. but in every other way, they right
0: they, they're still playing their CEO. Yeah, boot, they boot they act
1: exactly the same way. Yeah, um, you know, not clear. They they operate a number of facilities in California and elsewhere. Like most, they've had some issues in some places and mm-hmm. not in others. Okay. Um, now, in order for this facility to go forward, State Department of Health did have to issue a certificate of need. Now, this is something the Department of Health does. Whenever a hospital is proposed, uh, you apply to the state. And the state comes in. They take a look at the services you are intending to provide, the resources you're intending to bring to bear, and they issue a determination of whether or not these services are necessary for the area in which you're, you're looking to locate. State Department of Health, after some hesitation, Mm -hmm. did issue a certificate of need for the signature health care facility. At first, they denied it. Okay, And then there was some legal wrangling. Uh, The plans for both the well-found and the signature facility were amended somewhat, and based on those changes... Uh, department of health approved certificates of need for both facilities. Mm-hmm. So there has been you know some determination yeah, and some by the licensing authorities that you know this is going to be offering quality so, services okay. that are necessary for the community.
0: Well then I would say it's interesting to me that the council voted the way they did because you know we've we've Uh, we, we've in Tacoma tried so hard to say we need to get more high-quality, good-paying jobs in Tacoma. I would tend to think that these healthcare jobs would be just that.
1: I would assume so. Um, I think that a lot of people were surprised not just by the vote but by the fact that it was 8 to 0. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not really sure what went on there. Mm -hmm. Is this a bargaining chip looking to, you know, Pull some changes out of out of Signature. I don't know. Yeah, maybe if they do uh, something. Signature has filed suit against the city claiming procedural irregularities in their denial of the uh, variance approval. Okay. Their claim is that the uh, city council waited too long mm-hmm. uh, but after the hearing examiner's decision was rendered. Yeah. The city waited too long to, uh, to actually deny the variance. I don't know if that has any... Uh, any real substance to it or not. that's a significant issue. It wouldn't surprise me to see the city's position soften, change, if not reverse.
0: So what I'd like to see, I, I would not like to see the city go forward with a full lawsuit and lose, because that is very, very, very expensive, both to pay for the lawsuit and then to pay for the costs later. And especially if there is a chance that we actually can get something out of this, which is more mental health services in the city, potentially better jobs available to people. Um, So I hope that they are looking for a bargaining chip. I hope that there's something that they're hoping to work with Signature on and see if they can come up with something that's even better for Tacoma. Um, But I don't really have a sense that that's what's going on. We'll see.
1: I think this issue is going to play out over the next year. It does kind of push a broader issue, though, of – Where are we with mental health services? Where are we with what we call the mental health crisis? How successful have we been in dealing with it? Um, You know, Tacoma's mental health tax has been on the books since 2012. Mm
0: -hmm. That's a pretty long time.
1: That's a long time. Um, Pierce County in all that time has not increased its spending with regard to mental health services. The state has had persistent problems at Western State Hospital. Right. Uh, there have been numerous lawsuits. The hospital has lost its accreditation. When it lost its accreditation, it lost a lot of federal money that used to flow to the hospital. The state has subsequently had to pour a lot of money into remedial measures at the hospital. And I think you know we still don't know, has all that money been successful? Have the issues at Western turned around or not? You know, as I said earlier, uh, WellFound had a lot of bumps in the road of of getting up and running. You know, we talk about mental health services a lot. We we acknowledge, I think, on both sides of the political aisle that we've got a problem. We haven't really been very effective at dealing with it. And I think that, you know, whether or not this hospital gets approved and gets built or it goes someplace else this issue is just going to come back and come back and come back. You know, mental health pushes so many other issues, crime, homelessness, and the rest of it. We all acknowledge the role that it plays in a lot of social problems, but we really haven't been very effective at funding it or dealing with it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into talking about what I think is one of the other big issues facing the city and will for this year, and that is housing and homelessness. Um, The city uh, recently opened up a 22-unit tiny house, um, I don't know even what to call it, plaza, uh, next to um, MLK. And the homes there are very tiny. They look like small sheds. Um, it's being operated by a group out of um, Seattle. They have also operated a tiny house facility uh, in Olympia with some success. But it's only 20—I mean, I, I'm going to say this. I'm all for this anything that can get people into something that is a little more structurally sound at, as an emergency housing measure is a good thing. Um, but that's not a long-term fix. And the problem is, again, it's supposed to be transitional housing to move you from homelessness into housing, but that into housing piece is missing.
1: It That, that, that piece has been missing from, from a lot of our attempts to deal with the yeah, homelessness the
0: problem. Yeah, the city's uh, transition. We, we always
1: have step one. We, we don't have step two yeah. and step three. Not just Tacoma that lacks step no. two and three. Most other cities
0: lack step yeah. two and three. And I, th- I think one of the things that worries me is that I think that causes people to kind of throw up their hands and say, well, until such time as we have more affordable housing for people to go into, we can't really do very much about this. And I, and I disagree. So this is this is my my personal soapbox here. I think we need to lead with compassion in the city of Tacoma, and I think we need to recognize that there's some um, emergency triage housing that needs to be put in place, and that is probably tents. People have tents. We can get more tents. Tents are very inexpensive, but we need a place to put those tents. You can't have people just on every street corner and in the parks, especially with no hygiene facilities available. I would say the city needs to seriously look at what if we had, there's supposedly 400 homeless people living on the street. What if we had 400 refugees in Tacoma? Let's call them economic refugees. If they were refugees, we would plan a tent community, put in water, porta potties trash removal, the basics. And then you can start, you know, once people are stabilized, even in that most temporary of housing, then you can start having meetings with them about, you know, do you need a job? Do you need drug treatment? Do you need mental health services? Are there any services available that could help you? Maybe there are, maybe there aren't. But until you get people stabilized, I don't know how you even begin those conversations.
1: True. Um, I think that's I don't even know that you'd get too much of an argument from city planners. I think your problem costs escalate pretty quickly. You know, as soon as you
0: start providing services, you, the costs go up.
1: It's 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 healthcare services. Yeah. It's you know law enforcement. It's it's other issues.
0: But I think that we allow that to be a barrier to even providing some. Oh, basic. I,
1: I agree. I, but I think one of the frustrations is that the city is willing to do something, and this is another issue where. Local area, there isn't very much.
0: Well, in fact, if anything right. going
1: on around the county or in other cities no, in the county. No,
0: believes that the best option it's is to have the Right, and and I think I mean I think there's a lot packed into that. But one of the things that they're saying is we just don't have any systems in place. You at least do, and it's like, well, well yes, the, I would like you to have your own systems in place.
1: Right, but the, you you do tend to become you know sort of a black hole. That's sucking in yeah. all of this, you know, intergalactic Without dust. Without sucking from... in all the
0: resources. Right. Right. Um, well, I, I now, just—
1: Now, I, I will say the one thing that, that was interesting to me about this new community that's on MLK, I think it's 22 units? Is yes, that 22. I, um,
0: I, I think that as soon as it opened, it was at capacity. Oh, even before. Yeah. There's a huge waiting list. Yeah. Yeah. People want to be in something better. Yeah than what they are. And this is expensive. They're going to they're spending uh, close to a million dollars yeah. on the setup and then and then the servicing of it. But I just keep thinking and I and I know I may be missing something. And I and I think some of it may be worries about city liability, which let me tell you, I could draft up right now an agreement for people coming into, you know, who let's say you had a tent park, you would have a really comprehensive agreement for people to come in that you would sign, and that would tend to ameliorate your liability somewhat. But I just think that the city needs to recognize that without – and I think they know it. It's just difficult to know what to do. But we have got to have some facilities throughout the city, not just downtown, not just a hilltop, throughout the city that have some really basic provisions in place. And we've got to sort of do this as a city, saying you know, we're going to commit to addressing our homelessness problem – and that means we're going to have, you know, let's say over by our house in the, in the Westgate neighborhood, you have the former Truman Middle School that's now a professional skills service center. But they still have the school facilities there. They've got empty play fields that don't seem to get much use. They've got, you know, land that's next to the play fields. You could probably put, let's say, 10 to 15 tents in there with water and a porta potty you could probably do that around the city, and none of the neighbors would be very happy about it.
1: No, and, you know, and I'm I'm not arguing with you. You're still going to lack step two and step three. Oh yes, yeah, you, absolutely. You, you'll get everybody in, but but where do you? How do they graduate out from it?
0: But that's the same problem with refugee camps everywhere. Yeah, yeah, but you still have to have the step one and step two. It, I think what I'd like to see, what I'd really like to see is the city and the schools come together and say, you know, every high school and middle school has shower facilities, locker rooms and shower facilities. So how about partnering with service organizations and churches and say, we're going to have a Saturday shower day. Anyone can come in. We'll serve you breakfast, use the showers. It'll be fully monitored. It's not like, you know, we're going to allow a hundred people into the showers, um, Local gyms could decide to have once a month open their showers. Um, the coin-up laundry places, you know, give people money so they can go get their stuff. I mean, I think we have to, like, treat it like we are fighting a battle and comprehensively, you know, see what we can do. Could you give a, um, a break on property tax to anyone who is, you know, building a— um Dwelling unit in their backyard if they will take a homeless person into it. I, I just think we need to get really creative because this is a problem that is not going to go away. It will probably get worse. Experience of other cities says it,
1: it will get worse. Yeah. And we're just down in Los Angeles, where the, the problem is they're yeah, bursting oh. at the seams.
0: It's a it's astonishing in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, it's really bad. Um, so related to house housing issues, you were talking to me yesterday about the tax credit for building new apartments. What's up with that? Um, we've
1: had these tax credits uh, that have been on the books now for a number of years. They were there in my very brief tenure on the city council. They were basically enacted during the recession to try to spur the development of, of some sort of uh, multi-tenant residential facilities uh-huh. at a time when just about you know nothing was being built. We had people like Eric Bjornson talking on Facebook about you know, you, anywhere you go in the city, you don't see a single construction crane. Or there's no cranes, uh, no cranes in Tacoma. Nobody was building anything. And these tax credits were enacted as a way of trying to spur development. Uh, back during the recession and in the years following the recession, when Tacoma, really unlike the rest of the region, really sort of remained within the grips of the recession. They were not successful mm-hmm. at, at spurring any development. Subsequently, as the economy has improved substantially, as housing in Tacoma has gotten hot, according to the newspapers, yeah, we've seen a lot of apartment units and condos going up all over town. And they are taking advantage of these tax credits whether these things would have been built without those credits or not i suppose we could argue
0: well let's take a step back and tell me there's two levels of tax credit tell me what they are
1: oh uh, let's see there's i think it's an 8 year tax credit for just building any multi-use any multi-residential facility
0: yeah and just to be clear for people listening sometimes this debate turns into um these developers are getting they don't have to pay any taxes for 8 years and and that's not it Let's suppose you have, and let's take that property that's being built at 6th and Alder right now. That piece of land, that property, has been paying taxes forever. When the new ownership comes in, when they build this new development, you would normally expect the taxes to increase as the property value of that property increases. With this tax abatement, it gives the developer, if they qualify for it, and then they get this tax abatement, they get eight years where they're taxed at the prior level of the property. So their taxes don't go up even though they've improved the facility and created increased value. Um, After eight years, the property is assessed at its full market value and they start paying full market rate taxes on the property. It's not
1: hard to qualify for that tax credit. I think just about anything that gets built around town does. A second tax credit is available to those developers who would build... Complexes with a certain percentage set aside for what's referred to as affordable housing. And I'm I'm putting affordable in quotation marks. Right. Um, It's a highly technical definition of what affordable actually is. And probably most people would intuitively think affordable means something that it does not mean in this context. It's
0: based on our um, area income. And a certain a percentage level of the area income, and then what is considered appropriate rent, which I think is like, you know, one third of your take home pay uh, for rent. So, affordable tends to mean you're looking at a studio apartment that is $1,000 or $1,200, which nobody really thinks is affordable. And certainly for people on uh, fixed incomes, people who may be on Social Security, disability, or other very um, tight incomes, that's not in any way affordable.
1: Yeah, this this tax credit really does nothing to help very low-income individuals, the elderly, people with disabilities, also disproportionately, you know, people from diverse backgrounds. Right. Um, As I say, it is a very technical definition of affordable.
0: And so that gives you a um, 12-year fixed property tax, and yet- the developers aren't taking advantage of that one.
1: No, I, I suspect that uh, if you pencil out, you know, what you're going to get in the way of a tax abatement as opposed to what you would lose in potential rents on those 20% of your affordable units, it simply doesn't pay. It, right. it doesn't it doesn't add up. And so I think very few people uh, take advantage of it. Both of these tax credits are are currently up for they're going to be revised in some way. It's not really very clear right now what sort of changes we're going to see. There's a technical work group that's working on them. I think they, they were close to a proposal, but then they were sent back to do some more work. Okay. So we will see this issue coming back over the course of the next year. Uh, not clear right now what the results are going to be, but I think we will see changes. We're not going to see these, these kinds of tax credits go away.
0: Okay. So you say not going to go away, but probably not continue on unchanged, I would think. I mean, the public has been very hostile in some of the most recent approvals of um, these tax credits for developments.
1: Yes. Yeah, but so- nevertheless, I, I don't think you're going to see them go away. There is a very strong argument that uh, can be made for the building of any kind of multi-tenant housing Really does your city a lot of good throughout the entire price spectrum of yeah. all rental housing
0: well, that's the more
1: housing said. tends to mean that there's more affordable housing, even if it isn't in the new unit being built right by increasing the housing stock within the city, other units become more affordable because they become less competitive with these fancy new apartments. Well,
0: and that's how traditionally it has worked. Right. You know, you sort of have this scale of housing, and as something new and shiny is built at the top and people move into it, they leave places that are less new and less shiny. But it's not actually working in Tacoma because we don't have a closed system. Well, and, you know, the very economic forces that make
1: building new buildings feasible and profitable also tend—have been tending to raise prices all across the city, and it's really been pushing people out of the city.
0: Well, and I think— And and so,
1: really, in a lot of ways, if you really want to talk about how to deal with affordable housing in Tacoma, I think what a lot of people have found is that they're just getting squeezed out of Tacoma altogether.
0: Well, I think—and that is exactly it. So, we have— a net increase, influx of people coming in every year. Right. So we never have that stable community no. of, you know, vacant property and renters. No. What we have is a p- external pressure coming in and that is always going to cause rents to go up and, and it's going to cause those who are really um, – in the least negotiable position, those who have very tight incomes or are on disability funds, to be pushed out. They
1: are going to be pushed out. And I think the problem in a lot of ways has probably been aggravated in Tacoma by the fact that housing here historically for a long time has probably been significantly undervalued relative to other areas in the Puget Sound and that has changed in remarkably short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're just seeing people move into Tacoma. We're seeing prices go up at a rate that we just haven't seen at any time, certainly in the decades we've lived here.
0: Yeah. Well, and this is something, as I mentioned at the beginning, that Downtown On The Go aging in place January 24th. It'll be really interesting to see what their experts say because as our community ages and the community is aging, this is just going to continue to be... A real concern for everyone um let's talk about next well actually before we do that we'll come back and we'll talk about i-976 but let's take a break right now
2: this is nate bowling alaska Air mvp and host of the nerd farmer podcast there are three places i call home right now the first is tacoma obs the second is abu dhabi where i'm teaching for the next two years And the third place I feel like home is on board an Alaska Airlines flight, sipping on Northwest beer and watching free movies. When you spend as much time on an airplane as I do, you come to appreciate the finer things that Alaska Airlines provides. It's because at Alaska, customer service comes first. I see it in all the little details that make the experience of flying better. Free messaging and free movies on select flights. And of course, that signature fruit and cheese plate. When I fly, I don't even look at the travel sites. I go straight to alaskaair.com and book. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for your longtime support of Channel 253.
0: Hi, we're back. Hey, before we start talking about I-976, which, let me tell you, has some juicy pieces to it. If you are not already a member of Channel 253, which I am, and Joe is also, join $4 a month. You cannot beat that, and especially we were talking during the break. As our local newspaper, which we really we subscribe to, and we really care about our local newspaper, but as they have been unable to cover all the stories, you need to get your contact somewhere, and you can get it on some of these Channel 253 podcasts. So $4 a month will help us keep going and keep Tacoma informed. But now, I-976. So let me start by saying, so as everyone will recall, this is the initiative that was that passed in November to um, kind of redo on car tabs, take us back to a $30 car tab, change the law so that local governments cannot add anything to your car tab licensing fee, make other changes in how vehicles are valued, make other changes in how highways are paid for. And my saying it that way is intentional because the initiative has multiple parts and therefore it's being challenged in court as being unconstitutional because it's confusing. And the reason that the Constitution requires a single subject is just that because when people go to vote on initiative – These are citizens, not professional lawmakers. They need to understand, what am I voting for? What are the consequences of my vote? And when you have a lot of different topics in that initiative, it is almost impossible to make really good decisions. And so then the question is, what actually did I just vote for? And I didn't realize it had this consequence. So the initiative has been challenged in King County Superior Court. The attorney general's office is defending the initiative. It defends the votes of the people and says that it is constitutional.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's useful to point out that it's uh, King County and I think the city of Seattle that are challenging.
0: There's actually there's a number of groups in there, but yeah, those are definitely two of the they're, plaintiffs. They're,
1: yes, they're and are, two of
0: the biggest plaintiffs. Right. Yeah, um, and uh, defending is is the state attorney general's office. The first action was. Uh, a stay. And that is those who are challenging it were saying to the court, please don't allow this to go into effect. If it goes into effect, we're going to have to do all kinds of budgeting changes and uh, stop work on any number of projects. And we think it's unconstitutional. So please pause the impact of this until such time as the court can make a ruling on whether or not it is constitutional. I I
1: think it's important to point out here that uh i-976 went to a vote statewide Mm -hmm. Uh, this was an initiative that the entire state of washington voted on it has particular consequences in pierce county king county and snohomish county which constitute the sound transit taxing district Those counties voted in favor of Sound Transit 3, which was a package of mass transit projects that would be financed by additions to the car tabs of people within those three counties.
0: Right. So, for those of us who live in Pierce, King, and Snohomish, we pay more for our car tabs. Right.
1: We we pay a good deal more, and and there's an issue in in how that's computed. Uh, But This statewide vote has particular significance to people and to projects within this area.
0: So you can tell, uh, listeners, from the way we're talking about this, both Joe and I are lawyers. And there's a number of legal issues. There's the single subject issue. There's also this issue of can all the citizens of the state vote um, in a way that will significantly impact three counties, especially when those three counties voted to tax themselves for sound transit? Right. And they, they they took that vote pursuant to a state
1: law that allowed them, that created the special taxing district of Pierce King and Snohomish counties, and allowed them to impose that tax upon themselves. There are a lot of legal issues here. I think it's very likely that the challenge to I-976 is going to succeed and it will be thrown out. Mm-hmm. I think the the interesting political point here, though, is that There is within this taxing area a lot of anger at the amount that people are being assessed via their car tab renewal every year Mm -hmm. and the method by which that assessment is computed.
0: And this is interesting to me too because I just think car tabs are kryptonite. People hate it. that You can ask the most liberal person in the world – And I might even be somewhat close to that, although I don't think I am. I don't like car tab taxes. Why? Because it comes once a year. It comes all at once. And you have to pay a chunk of it. And we have older vehicles. So our car tab fees are not that high. I tell you, you drive a 23-year-old pickup truck and you pay almost nothing on this sound transit (laughs) tax. You do pay in repairs, but not in taxes. So, you know, but for people who have newer vehicles, and by newer, I mean you know, two, three, four years old, I mean, not brand new. It's considerable. It's a considerable expense. And especially, I think one of the things that really galls me is um, folks who live in an area where they can use transit, let's say up in Seattle and say, you know, you should just get rid of your car anyway. Well, for people who live in, you know, not in the city, that is just not a very realistic option.
1: No, if you live in Eatonville, you're you're going to drive and you shouldn't be demonized for doing it you either. You know,
0: if you have someone in your family who has a disability, you need to be able to take them to doctors. If you have children, you are probably not going to be able to go without a vehicle very easily. So, you know, cars are problematic in a lot of ways, but cars just saying get rid of your car, I don't think is is very realistic at all.
1: Now, the anger at this tax and its imposition tends to compound when you take a look at exactly how it's assessed. Yeah. Um, state law computes the value of your vehicle on a basis that really isn't grounded in reality. I don't reality. even know
0: what it is. I mean, they're it, not using Kelly Blue Book.
1: They're not using Blue Book values. It's not even market value. It's an artificial inflated value for your car that it wouldn't in any real world sense be worth anywhere if you were to sell it if you were to buy it it's you would no, no one would
0: ever pay you that amount for your exactly. car. But it, this it, it's is significantly thing.
1: above what the real value of your car is. And so you're paying a percentage of that value as an excise tax every year yeah. when you renew your car tabs. Yeah. And a lot of people are very angry about this.
0: A lot of people are very angry. It's sort of, it's the compounding of nobody really likes the car tab anyway. fee anyway. Then you value it in a way that everyone can see is just not realistic.
1: Now – What's also interesting here, though, is that the politics of this issue are starting to develop in a way that's, that's really very interesting. Seattle and King County are among the plaintiffs challenging this tax. Mm-hmm. The state of Washington, as it needs to under state law, is defending it. Pierce County, the executive and subsequently the Pierce County Council, have decided to push the Pierce County or strongly request that the Pierce County prosecutor, who is a separately elected official, join the defense of I-976. So what we have is Pierce County – and she's agreed to do that. She has. Uh, So what we have is Pierce County – entering the lawsuit alongside the state opposing King County and Seattle who are looking to invalidate the initiative. What I think is interesting about this is that I think you're really starting to see particularly Republican and conservative lawmakers sensing that they've got a real issue here. And I think what you're starting to see is that they're shaping and developing anger about car tabs Into a very effective issue for them.
0: I think so, too.
1: Um, And I think that even though I think the lawsuit is going to fail, I think you're going to see this issue have legs as we move forward.
0: I think so, too. Well, uh, as we've discussed on prior episodes of Crossing Division, there's no bigger drama llama in the state than Tim Eyman. And he's just recently moved in Thurston County to have the case considered by a Thurston County judge. He's moved for a declaratory judgment. That's where you can go into court and say, hey, I've got a statute or a law here, and I want you to take a look at it and tell me if it's constitutional. So this matter is, lawsuit is in King County challenging the constitutionality. Tim comes into Thurston County in Olympia and says, hey... I'm going to file something here and have you, Thurston County judge, tell me if it's constitutional. Now, let me tell you, it's not going to work. Thurston County is going to say, no, we're not going to take this declaratory judgment action. The matter is currently – that issue is currently in court in King County. So at best, I think they would um, stay any decision on his declaratory judgment until after King County is done. But I also think the judges in Thurston County – it's a very small group of judges. they're, They're really good. They're really good judges, and they're not going to buy into that nonsense. But uh, Tim had also noted, I read in one of the news reports, that he may file in other counties, too. And it's like, this is just going to turn into a circus. And I think you are right, Joe. I mean, what he is doing, in my opinion, is all of this is good for him because he gets out in front and he says, it's like our votes don't even count. These politicians are keeping us from, you know, what, what we voted for. So he gets more money for his activities, and he's got a legal defense fund going right now, you know, for his campaign finance, you know, problems. Well,
1: he's announced he's running for governor. Oh, and he's running for governor. Inslee.
0: So, I mean, he's using this to gin up money for himself, and then, yeah, it it continues the outrage, and the outrage plays into a real anti-incumbent and probably anti-Democrat sentiment in the state.
1: Yeah, I, I think that. Um at some point, I, I would really think the legislature needs to take up the issue of you know, just how this kind of tax is computed and do something. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of constitutional limitations about what you can do in these kinds of instances when you're talking about initiatives that propose – Massive infrastructure spending that's typically financed by bonds. And once those bonds are sold, and in this case they were sold you know, almost as soon as the vote was taken when Sound Transit 3 passed, um, you really can't do much to mm-hmm. impede the cash flow that's needed to pay off the bonds. Yeah. You, you, you can't impair those Con- bonds. The well, contract. they're contracts.
0: Yes. And they're the type of contracts that are given – You know, great protection under the law. But I still think
1: there probably is something that the legislature could do to mitigate this somewhat. And I think it would be smart on on both sides to take a look at it.
0: Well, I hope they don't just go back to the $30 car taps the way they did before, because that just wrecks havoc in a different way. But I agree that a a more careful look at, at financing mechanisms is definitely overdue. Yeah. Yeah. So, The last topic I wanted to touch on today is let's talk about elections in 2020. I'll give you a couple couple of dates to watch for in 2020. March 10th is our presidential primary in Washington state only presidential. Now, this is going to be interesting because in order to participate in this presidential part, uh, party primary, you are going to have to affirm in writing that you are a Democrat or a Republican somewhere on the probably on the envelope on the exterior of the ballot. And that's because it's a closed primary, it's not an open primary and that's going to get people really hot under the collar. But it's not unreasonable. What you're really saying is, I, a member of this party, want to select this person to be the party representative in the presidential race to be fully supported by the party and financed by people in the party. Um, So it's not the same as saying which two people should run for governor or which two people should run for city council. Um, But it's going to really rub Washingtonians the wrong way because we have tried to get away from Uh, partisan primaries in every way that we possibly can. So we'll see if that affects turnout or not. We also then in April, on April 26th, is for Democrats, a Democratic legislative district caucuses. And what these are, we're not doing caucuses to in lieu of a primary to select our candidate, but we are still doing caucuses to uh, elect delegates who would then go to the congressional district caucuses and to the state convention. So if you wanted to be a delegate eventually at the um, national convention, you need to start in your local legislative district and say, hello, here I am. I want to be a delegate and here's why I should be.
1: Yeah, this is the first year that Washington is actually going to be voting well, that the results of a primary vote are going to be used to determine who Washington supports in the Democratic and, and Republican primaries. Mm-hmm. Previously, we did this. Well, we had a primary; nobody, neither party, paid any attention to the results, and we voted in in rather chaotic caucuses all around the but for state. For the
0: Democrats, I think the Republicans used the primary the la- four years ago, but prior to that, they had been caucusing also. As well. Yeah.
1: Uh, so this year, we're going to be using the results on both ends on the primary rather than the caucuses. And the caucuses are, are somewhat more technical tool to simply choose who the delegates going to the convention will be
0: yeah it'll be interesting to see well also on the calendar in may uh second week in may is filing week for all state elections so for pierce county and for tacoma we will see people filing for state representatives um some con- some state senate positions um there are several county council districts that are um going to be open um, this current s- seat currently held by pam roach uh District 2 is open. District 3, currently held by Jim McCune, and District 4, currently held by Connie Ladenberg, all will be open. Yeah. Um, so McCune, we will see.
1: McCune and Ladenberg are both term limited out. They couldn't run again. Pam Roach has announced that uh, she's only served one term and she's announced she's not running again. I suspect that the four years in the county council has reset her retirement. It,
0: exactly. And
1: I also don't think that county council really provided the opportunity for the sort of legislative theater that she really enjoyed.
0: Exactly. I don't think it's been very gratifying for her at all. Um, So the other thing that we will have um, coming up next year is an open 10th congressional district seat.
1: Yeah, that's really turning into a crap fest.
0: Yeah. So we have Marilyn Strickland, former mayor of Tacoma, who has declared that she is running. Um, We have also a Joshua Collins who's running as a Democrat. Uh, He tends to be in the Medicaid for all group. I don't know if I would say he was a Bernie supporter. I suspect he is, but I don't know. He's raised about $44,000 for that race. Um, Denny Heck had previously had in his account about $410,000. And so that money will – I don't know how the Federal Elections Commission, um, what they do with campaign surplus funds – there were also two Republicans who have opened uh, campaigns, uh, uh, Nancy Slotnick and Ryan Tate. And I didn't look up on the FEC website how much they had raised, but I would assume it's not all that much. And Marilyn Strickland isn't yet on the FEC um, page, so I don't know if she has raised any money. And I, and I don't mean that to say that's a violation. I think um, federal is different than state. And I think that they have to report at certain set intervals of either monthly or quarterly and that her reporting hasn't come up yet.
1: Yeah, there's been speculation about other candidates the moment, um, well, not very long after Denny Heck announced he wasn't going to be running. Christine Reeves, who's been in the legislature in the 30th district, announced that she was stepping down as a legislator. The expectation was that she would be running for the Heck seat, but... She hasn't announced – she doesn't actually live within the district, neither does Marilyn Strickland. Apparently, there's also been some speculation about other people running who don't actually live in the district. You really only need to live in the state. You don't need to actually live in the congressional district yeah, although in I, order to represent the congressional district in Congress.
0: But as you can imagine, I don't think the people who live in that district are very uh, excited about the prospect of someone outside the district thinking they can represent them.
1: No. If you, if you take a look at the map, it's a district that's really pretty much centered in Olympia and Thurston County. It extends north. It, it encompasses, I think, all of JBLM. Uh, it goes north up as far as University Place, Furcrest, and then it also includes East Tacoma. Uh, Marty Campbell, formerly on the city council, now on the county council, who lives in, uh, in East Tacoma, has pointed out that he is thinking about running. He might run and uh, also pointed out that he, in fact, actually lives in, in the 10th congressional district yeah. and lived there before it even was a congressional district.
0: So pointing out uh, Christine Reeves brings up another topic, and that is sort of the question of how many legislative, state legislative seats in our area will be up for grabs in 2020. So Christine Reeves has resigned. She is not even on the legislative website anymore. That seat is vacant. Um, Interestingly, Mike Pellicciotti, who... Also is the other state representative for the 30th district. He is also running for state treasurer. He has $173,000 in his treasurer race campaign account and zero in his house race. Um, so my assumption is, is that he will not be filing to run again for the um, House of Representatives. He is running for state treasurer. So that will mean both representative seats in the 30th are up. Um Now, I contacted Derek Young, uh, Pierce County Council member, to ask him, has he heard about anything in terms of process? Because the process when you have a vacancy, and and the Christine Reeves seat is vacant now, is that the counties – usually there's one county. In this case, District 30 is on King County and a little bit in Pierce County. The two county councils will get together and confer, and the counties will select – someone to fill out the remainder of Christine Reeves' term so through the end of this year that person will then be certainly able to run and likely to run as the incumbent in November am i confused or this am i
1: confusing it with something else uh, doesn't this selected person have to be from the same political party as the person who stepped down.
0: You're correct. The way it has worked in the past is that the local uh, political party has given three names to the county council, and the county council has then heard from those people and made a decision out of the three. What's interesting is when you have a county council – so let's say in Pierce County, I think probably – whoever King County wants to get will be more likely to be selected than whoever Pierce County wants. But Pierce County is a Republican-majority county council. So you could anticipate that they might like to select someone out of the three names who is the weakest, you know, thinking that maybe a Republican could win back that seat because, you know, the 30th is a real mixed district. It's been held by Republicans and Democrats. But I think in this case, since you're very likely to have two seats available – um, they should be getting some good names, but so far they don't have any names. So I contacted Derek, and he said no, they hadn't had anything yet. He doesn't even know if the PCOs, the precinct committee officers, I think, meet to make the recommendations for the county on who should be um, the individual. And I don't know the PCOs for uh, the districts in in thirty. Yeah, the Reeves
1: resignation, I, I thought, was a little surprising.
0: Um, I think she was on her second term. Yeah, I think, or either she, yeah, I think, no, I think she was reelected last time. So I think this would have been, yeah, this is her second term. This is her second term,
1: yeah. And, uh, you know, so she was a fairly junior House member, Mm -hmm. looked like she was fairly safe. Yeah. so, this is a bit surprising. I mean, it's a bit of a long shot. She doesn't live right now in the 10th congressional
0: no. district. I'm not sure where she grew up. She might have grown up in the 10th. I, I don't I think know. She,
1: I think she may have.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. I, I think before she was in the legislature, she worked in the governor's office.
0: She might have. I'll tell you, she's a, she's a woman of color. I mean, young, youngish. I think she's in her 30s. Yeah. Um, very dynamic speaker. Yes. Very I, I, smart. I, you know, I, I would love to see her go further. I can understand her ambition oh, yeah. to move I, you forward. know, I, I met her. Uh,
1: she worked for the governor's office. I think it was something to do with, with military or veterans affairs because mm-hmm. I met her in a uh, at a uh, an event over on JBLM. Okay. Yeah, it was a great speaker.
0: Great. Yeah, really. So I would uh, love really to see her. Really good at
1: engaging the crowd. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because, yeah, I think a lot of people were a little bit resentful of the idea that you would resign the seat you currently have in order to free yourself up to run for something else, maybe. And she hasn't said she's running for something. No, she she hasn't
1: actually announced.
0: But I actually think that is the better way to do it because then you get a chance to have someone else appointed who can sit out your term and then run as an incumbent. So, I mean, it actually is probably more likely – to lead to continued party control of that seat than just, you know, not running and having an open race uh, for the seat. So I'm not sure it's a bad thing to do. We have a couple of other things. So I was, then I started to ask myself, well, what other things in our area are, are going to be open? And this is interesting. So for the um, county council seat held by Pam Roach, one of the people who was declared declared who's running is Hans Zeiger who's currently the Republican senator from the 25th district, which is sort of the Puyallup area. Um, he um, has opened a campaign for um, Pam Rogers county council seat and has about $50,000 in it. That has caused then Chris Gilden, who's a House uh, representative from the 25th, he has now opened a campaign for the Senate seat. Um, So his seat, Gilden's seat, appears to be open and in play. And there are several Republicans who have opened campaigns to run for that seat. So there's a lot of moving around. Nothing that I think is going to change the um, overall Democratic majority in the House. But there's a lot of maneuvering going on. Yeah, I think the interesting question
1: uh, locally is going to be the uh – the party makeup of the county council. That Pam Roach seat has been one that the Democrats have hoped to capture in yeah. recent years, but have not managed to. Uh, we'll see if they they can pull it off this time. Um,
0: we have the other a-
1: seats. I, I think the McCune seat that's probably pretty safely Republican. The Ladenberg seat. I right now know of only two announced. Candidates at, yeah. least, at least on the Democratic side, Tim Farrell, who previously served uh, two terms in the county council, has announced he's running for it, and Ryan Mello, who just stepped down from the Tacoma City Council, is running for that seat as well.
0: Yeah, I think they. I I looked it up on the PDC website, and I didn't. I don't think I saw anyone else for District Four. For District Three, uh, it's interesting. Jim McCune's seat McCune, his county council assistant. Um, is running as a Republican, and then Yana Cook, who is a Democrat, is running for the seat. For the Pam Roach seat, it's uh, Hans Zeiger as a Republican, and then Sarah Rumbaugh, um, who's been active in politics for quite some time, She's a very effective uh, campaign operative is also running for that seat. So that could be a more competitive county council race than it has been.
1: Yeah. I, I, I would think the Democrats would be really hopeful of, of being able to do something there. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've been in a uh, in a minority on the county council for a while now. And, and we'll
0: see if that changes. We'll see if that changes. Now, the only person who's declared so far to run for county executive is Bruce Dammeyer. And Heading back to our I-976 discussion, one of the reasons I think that the county decided that they wanted the county prosecutor to step in in defense of, of uh, I-976 is, is because we're seeing a little flexing on the Republican side in the county um, to you know, sh- make sure that they're seen as um, strongly defending the vote of the county.
1: Well, and, um, you know, 976, if you take a look at the vote breakdown – In Pierce County, uh, overall, it actually failed in Pierce County. It it passed because of votes elsewhere in in King and Snohomish County. In Pierce County, while uh, voters in Tacoma voted against 976, uh, voters outside of Tacoma overwhelmingly voted in favor of it. Yeah, Uh, and that's I think really a sign of how Pierce County is. Its electoral makeup has really been changing over the last five and six years. We're tending to skew more and more conservative, particularly when you look outside of the city.
0: Mm-hmm. I think so too. So, any other issues we should be looking at for 2020?
1: No, I think we're going to we're going to continue to see, largely because there's really no very good answer to these these issues, mental health, homelessness. These kinds of issues are just they're going to dog us this year mm-hmm. and, and in years to come. You know the magnitude of the problem and the amount of money it would take to solve is just so great, yeah that I think we're always going to fall short
0: yeah, it's interesting,
1: but it will be an interesting year in in terms of uh, electoral politics, and we'll see you know where we go
0: well, and with the March tenth presidential primary, that means Washington state will be having its primary when there is not yet a clear yeah. Uh, Democratic um, candidates. So we may actually see more visits from the candidates into our area. Our mayor uh, has already endorsed Mike Bloomberg, and that could be really interesting. He is not running a traditional campaign. He's just running kind of a all-by-all-the-media, and it seems like, you know, a significant number of mayors across the country are supporting him, and uh, we'll see what, what happens with That's
1: that. A, the, the No Malarkey Express bus could be heading our way.
0: Now, that would be something I would actually like to see because just – is it but real? Yeah, I,
1: I would expect to see candidates – with something we haven't seen in the past is right. presidential candidates in a primary visiting Washington state. We've typically been so late mm-hmm. that we don't really matter.
0: Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting year. Also, in my notes, uh, in July, is the Freedom Fair going to be at Point Rustin? Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the plan. All right, then. So that's it for our what's coming up. What would we like to see? What do we expect to see in 2020? If you listeners out there have any ideas for shows or questions, um, shoot me uh, uh, something on Twitter. I am at True-Tacoma. Um, Joe, what's your Twitter?
1: I am at Joe Lopez Tacoma. All run together as one
0: okay. string. All right. You can also contact us at Channel 253. Thanks for listening.
2: Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. The Crossing Division podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, Citizen Tacoma, Founders B Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.